Well, hi, I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. You're listening to We Built It That Way, a show about how we shape the places we live and how they shape us, our behaviors, our relationships, our opportunities, and our imagination. Hey, AJ. Yeah. Do you remember a few episodes ago when we talked about signs and urban advertisements? I do. And do you remember me making a comment, something to the effect that we'd never put up with the same level of noise intrusion into our lives as the amount of visual intrusion we put up with? I remember every comment you've ever made, but I do remember (laughs) that one as well. Yes. Well, I'm here to say that after some reflection and some soul searching, I believe we were giving noise pollution some serious short shrift. Absolutely, but we're going to remedy that today because in today's show, we're going to give sounds their due. And in particular, as we like to do on this show, we talk about our relationship with the sounds and the noise of cities. That's right. And, you know, what is the difference between noise and sound? Noise is just sound we don't like and don't want to hear. And the thing is, the soundscapes of our urban environments are at the same time hugely impactful to how we interact with each other and the world around us and still largely under-considered by designers and planners and policymakers. Yeah, they definitely are. And that's why we wanted to take this time to talk about the quantity and the quality of the sounds of our urban environments. Things like what sounds we like, what kinds we just tend to complain about, and the types that have become so expected and normal that we really just think of them as inevitable parts of the places that we choose to call home. Right. But as we've talked about many times on this show, all infrastructure is designed and very few things are quite as inevitable as they seem. That's quite a lead in. You think so? If you weren't interested in sound, you <laughs> should be now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, AJ, let's just jump right into it. Um, I think yeah. something we should get out of the way before going too much further is let's just talk about what we mean by noise and how it's measured. And we got to talk about decibels. You know what a decibel is, right? It's one-tenth of a bell, which was determined to be the quietest sound a human can detect. Wow. Ding! I think we could just leave that. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned something new. (laughs) I have to admit, I heard this... um, a couple of, of years ago. Well, I guess it was about a year ago on Stuff You Should Know. Oh, man. Uh, a great show. Yes. But yes, sound is measured in decibels, and there's a whole different thing measured in dBA, which we don't have to go too much into, but that kind of narrows down for sounds that the human ear can really make out. But we'll just say for the purposes of this show, we're just going to talk in decibel units. And the thing is that the decibel scale is logarithmic. So every 10 is a doubling of sound experience. So 20 decibels is twice as loud as 10 decibels. And 70 Mm -hmm. decibels is twice as loud as 60 decibels. Yeah. And so for people that don't like math. Aureli, I'm a tough guy. Tough guys don't do math. Tough guys deep fried chicken for a living. And you just kind of want to be able to picture this in some way. Cars, for example, can be anywhere between 10 to 1,000 times the sound of conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas an airplane can be as much as 100,000 times that sound. And there, there are 
like thousands of examples. Uh, if you just go to an image search online for like a decibel chart, there are thousands of examples. It seems like where they'll say sixty decibels is you know equal to conversational speech, seventy、mm-hmm. is equal to vacuum cleaner, eighty is like you're at the, you know the side of a of a busy road. And I I know that anybody that knows me is listening to this and going, well, they've clearly never heard one of AJ's conversations. <laughs> But I want to point out here that decibels, contrary to popular belief, don't actually measure volume. They're measuring the intensity of the disturbance in the air that the sound makes. Right, and also like the decibel reading would be higher the closer you are to the source of some noise, and can really decrease, you know, pretty quickly the further that you move away from it. So it's a little bit harder to say like, oh, a car produces this level of decibels. There's spatial influence, and of course, it depends on what you're driving. I won't get into commentary on that, but I will say that there's a teenager at the end of my block、uh-huh. that、uh, definitely has a, a louder car than most. Just、right. FYI.、Right. Wow, he's really fast, isn't he? Yeah, but he's stupid. And so there are safer and less safe levels of noise, and some of them come from within our own households, and some are from outside. For example, I was just using a food processor earlier. And I was getting like 90 decibels from my food processor, but we're really going to spend most of our time talking about the sources of noise in our life that are kind of generated by our infrastructure and policy and design decisions. So, what's a safe level of noise? Yeah, this is really being this has been studied for a number of decades, but the the kind of like consensus is is still like. Emerging on this, we tend to know that it's considered that about 85 decibels over eight hours causes permanent hearing damage, and 100 decibels for even 15 minutes can cause permanent、um, hearing damage. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, has、um, put out some guidance on this, and they suggest that 55 decibels should really be the threshold for outdoor noise, like outside of your house. For public health, and even lower, something like forty to forty-five for sleep criteria. Yeah, I've even read that they say that you can start to feel physical discomfort and even pain starting at around one hundred and twenty decibels. Yeah, that makes sense to me, and I would almost suggest it might even be less than that. But some cities are so loud that average levels are eighty or ninety decibels most of the time. I saw a listing of some cities where. Noise levels are just through the roof, and one of them is Cairo, Egypt, and that is、uh, a- averages about ninety or more decibels during the daytime, which is just like an insane amount of noise. Well, speaking of pain, there are also other types of health impacts that come from noise that are not necessarily felt at the time of hearing noise, but can be cumulative over many years. And I know we wanted to touch on several of those. You mentioned the World Health Organization, who published a paper on what they coined the burden of disease,、mm-hmm. that they、uh, assert is caused by environmental noise. And some of the figures that I thought were really interesting from that paper included, in the Western European Union, they were able to calculate that there are 1.6 million healthy life years that are lost every year from environmental noise,、mm-hmm. and you know, as we all tend to do as human beings, 
we don't always take those types of figures as seriously as we should. So they also right. converted that into a monetary cost because that always gets us to, <laughs> to actually pay attention, right? Uh -huh. So what they found was that as much as $3.9 billion could be saved annually in healthcare care uh, costs mm -hmm. with just an overall reduction in our environments of five decibels. Yeah. And they, they said in that report that noise pollution is, they, they consider it second only to air pollution as an environmental health threat in Europe. And I would suspect that's also the case in a, in a lot of places across the world. Something that jumped out of, to me in reading uh, about that report is they kind of consider noise as like having an alarm system that's always on. And we mm -hmm. really can't control in the way that we could maybe close our eyes. We don't have ear lids. And so, you know, our ears serve a really important purpose, even when we're sleeping, and that they're kind of alerting us to any kind of danger, stimulating that fight or flight response. And being in a constant state of activated stress response like that can really like take its toll, which we'll talk about here in a sec. So they kind of highlighted five primary health issues that are like directly the result of noise pollution in cities. And those are cardiovascular disease, cognitive impairment, sleep disturbance, annoyance and stress, and hearing problems. And let's just run through those really quickly. Yeah. Because air pollution, that's an obvious focal point for cardiovascular disease. That's pretty widely talked about and considered. But noise pollution really has been overlooked here. And the, the thing is that evidence links environmental noise, especially loud traffic, to all kinds of cardiovascular effects, including high blood pressure, hypertension, um, and heart disease because of that elevated stress response. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the effects that it has on cognitive impairment. So um, especially as it relates to children, we've seen plenty of evidence that tasks like reading, problem solving, um, memory, attention span, focus, those things are, are most affected in children by exposure to noise, but it also has similar impacts on adults. Yeah. And the reason is really the same as its impact on cardiovascular disease. It, you know, our arousal response is triggered and it, that takes a toll on our brain and our bodies in the short term and in the long term. And then there's sleep disturbance, which nighttime noise has a outsized impact on us, not only for its contributions to cardiovascular disease, but it can have immediate effects. Um, not getting enough sleep can really be stressful for a lot of people. It can have immediate after effects, such as not having the awareness and capacity to go about your daily tasks and have long-term health effects. It can increase obesity rates. You know, there's a, a, whole, a long list of things that not getting enough sleep um, contributes to. Absolutely. And then, you know, that's kind of compounded by the fact that the stress hormones, including adrenaline and cortisol, those are things that our body releases when there's noise around us that we can't control in some way. Um, mm -hmm. They say sometimes it's not even necessarily painful or discomfort, that type of noise. It's just yeah. something that is outside of our control, like a neighbor running a leaf blower, you know, that annoying teenager that I might have mentioned already at least yeah. once, um, those sorts of things. Yeah. Stress, you know, stress is its own adverse health effect. You become angry, that leads to all kinds of second and third order effects that we wouldn't even include in, under, you know, impacts of noise, noise pollution. And then kind of the most obvious one, hearing problems such as tinnitus, which the WHO calls the inability to perceive silence. You know, it's that ringing in your ears. And uh, that's a pretty common one. Yeah. And a pretty awful one. 
And then before we move on there, you know, there are other impacts on our social habits, but we are going to come back and talk more about that in, in a later segment on this episode. Um, and just briefly, there's some really enormous wildlife impacts, especially on the mating uh, behaviors of a lot of species. And the noise impact travels much further than just, you know, mm-hmm. a few meters from from city streets. Right. Can you imagine a world without noise? Where you never have to hear anything that makes you startled, angry, or uncomfortable. A world where your ears are a forever happy place. In the past, such a world was only possible for the very rich. Well, you see, this is my weekend, y'all. But now, thanks to a revolution in technology, harnessing the power of AI and or machine learning, that world is at your fingertips. Introducing the new noise-canceling get-out-of-my-headphones from Bose. You decide what counts as noise, and you never have to hear it again. The endless drone of your neighbor's lawnmower? Gone. Wind chimes, blissfully chiming away. In this economy? Out of here. Any music made after you were 24 years old? Just enter your date of birth and the technology does the rest for you. But why stop there? For example, have you noticed young people complain a lot these days? Somebody call a ambulance. With the new get out of my headphones, you'll never hear another word about climate change, the skyrocketing costs of housing, downward mobility. Whoops. Okay, you got me there. But the same works for tuning out all that gibberish the olds keep flapping their gums about. Who wants to hear about a world before cell phones, right teens? Miss me with that one. As if. And we could certainly go on. Your husband's football games or your wife's complaints that you're emotionally unavailable. You know what you are? You're emotionally unavailable. Muted. Your parents' perpetual disappointment. Zapped. Your bosses. I'm going to need you to work late tonight, champ. Sorry, boss. Can't hear you. A world without noise tailored to you, where you never have to hear anything that makes you feel uncomfortable. The new noise-canceling get-out-of-my-headphones from Bose. Find it at a sharper image or Best Buy near you. Well, okay, so we're talking about noise in cities, but let's talk about where the most um, impactful noise in cities is actually coming from. Because yeah. I think it, it might not necessarily be what people think of. What do you think people would think of? I think people typically hear noise and they think about the things that annoy them personally, mm-hmm. um, like the things that they have to hear on their block um, yeah. or when they're sitting in traffic, times that we're already somewhat annoyed and then that adds to the annoyance. Yeah. But there are a lot of other sources that we have learned to tune out and that doesn't uh-huh. mean that it's not noise. It just means that we have become accustomed to it. I think that's a really good point because... A lot of the things that bother us the most are things that we notice. And right. there are like, like, as you say, significant noise impacts that have become, they've become noise, right? In, in the way that we use that colloquially and that they're just there in the background, they're present, they're baked in. 
And so like I saw one of the articles that we'll include in the show notes was talking about how we perceive the same level of noise from helicopters as being more annoying than that from an airplane. And then we perceive the airplane noise of the same level to be more annoying than from car traffic. Mm -hmm. And it is, I think, that more like interruption, which makes a lot of sense. It does. You know, that also brings to mind things like uh, construction. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely a big source of of noise in our cities. Yeah. You know, another one of my favorites, and by favorite, I mean least favorite, is (laughs) the leaf blowers um, that the landscape companies are using to blow the trash out in the street, which is a maybe for another day. But the noise of that on its own is quite annoying. The noise is pretty annoying and it's dangerous. Like at a distance of 50 feet, and this is from the manufacturers themselves, leaf blowers can average 70 to 75 decibels, which is like way higher than that threshold that we were talking about for Mm -hmm. healthy long-term levels outside of your residence. And those things get way closer than 50 feet. Yeah. If you're operating one, I think it was maybe 100 or 110 decibels, um, which is dangerous for the operator. And it's at a pitch that is like designed almost to be the most possible annoying sound to humans and we can't control it. Right. You know, and then here we are in Texas with record temperatures during both seasons of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, AC equipment that we are very fond of and need for many reasons. Um, I think that's another source of noise that we tend to tune out at times. Yeah. But can certainly, depending on, again, a lot of spatial things, your proximity and then uh-huh. the size of the units and the building and the power that's required to cool or heat that building. Yep. A lot of noise generation from that as well. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and he was saying how in a previous apartment where he lived, he didn't have air conditioning. And so he needed to open his windows at night for some air circulation. But he had to choose between air circulation and, you know, a few floors down, there was a really big building that had a huge, I guess, HVAC system. Mm -hmm. And these fans on top of the or whatever units on top of the of the building were so loud that he never experienced any silence at night. And we're going to focus more on like traffic noise in, in this episode. But like, these are all things that make really big contributions to people's quality of life and health. Absolutely. And affect the way that we choose or choose not to participate mm-hmm. in those environments. Right. And then airports are, well, airplanes are a huge source of noise. And depending on where you live, like if we'll include some links to some like noise maps Mm -hmm. showing the noisiest parts in cities. And it's very clear where the airports are because that noise is more periodic, but it is super intense. Um, And some people like live with that noise happening 24 hours a day. Very true. Uh, and, And then, of course, other people. Other people are noise generators, and that's both a positive. Some more than others. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that can we be won't both name any names. <laughs> uh, right. So that could be, you know, that could be a positive. It could be a negative. But a lot of people live in poorly soundproofed buildings. And it's really, you know, we're going to talk uh, about the design choices behind a lot of these things in, in a few minutes at the larger scale. But really... We did not spend very much time putting effort into, you know, soundproofing our building stock up until pretty recently. We had a whole period after the World War II period where we just started putting out buildings that were 
cheap and mass produced and didn't take sound um, or noise into much consideration. Correct. But we really, we really got to get to the, the big, the big one for this mm-hmm. episode. And that is traffic, traffic noise. To me, it's the big one that is often the least considered, even though I'm constantly annoyed by it, maybe because I think about it a lot. Well, it only happens twice a day, right? <laughs> that's the only time there's any real traffic noise. Come on, that's not a big deal. <laughs> I've heard people say that and it just made me shake my head. So let's talk about traffic and maybe we could just break that down further into like automobiles, right? Yeah, yeah. Because we sometimes experience traffic noise as a whole and sometimes mm-hmm. we experience the noise from individual vehicles but it's or you know, from it's individual elements of vehicles right so the two main sources of traffic noise are rolling noise and propulsion noise so by rolling we mean very literally the sound that's created by tires on the road surfacing yeah and as one might imagine the faster you're traveling the louder that source of noise is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the wider the tires, the larger the load that it's hauling, the larger the vehicle itself, um, those things also contribute greatly to the amount of noise that's generated. Right. But as one might not imagine, rolling noise is actually the largest source of noise above 35 miles an hour. So, like, if you're standing by a highway, most of the noise that you're hearing is tire friction mm-hmm. noise. 45 miles and a higher for heavy goods vehicles because they're just louder altogether. And mm-hmm. this is a thing that electric cars don't help with, right? Because they're they're heavier, they have wider tires. And once they're at speed, you don't they're even louder than a normal car. Right. So then by propulsion noise, what we're talking about there is the sound that's coming from the different elements of the vehicle, the exhaust system, the transmission, the engine, the brakes. While that has gotten better in recent decades, as we have seen the design and the different parts and components of vehicles um, improve, it's still very much a source of noise. Yeah. And then there's car horns, which they can be like 110 decibels because they have to be functional at rural fast driving speeds, but they're also just as loud in urban settings and they're not loud to the driver. So they're, it's kind of like, they're not this. to me, <laughs> never bothers me. <laughs> well, I think this is like one important thing is this kind of disconnect between the noise generating thing, like whether it is the horn itself or just the driving itself, like we're kind of shielded from most of the noise from inside it and then subjected to it from outside it. Right. You women have heard of jalopies, you've heard the noise they make, but let me reintroduce my new Rocket 88. Yes, it's straight, just one. So why don't we move on to the real meat and potatoes of this show? Um, or just potatoes if you're not a meat eater. Or or just meat if you're paleo. It is the latest diet fad, eating like the cavemen. Uh, so what is like... We hinted at it before. There's large social impacts of, of all of this noise. So let's spend some time talking about what that is and maybe alongside it, some of the attitudes or assumptions behind, you know, our present noise levels, whether or not they were done on, you know, intentionally. And to me, you know, one of the first things that stands out is a big impact of like high noise levels in cities is this tendency to want to retreat from the public sphere. The public realm is de facto noisy. That's what happens in cities. And so whether it's by putting on noise canceling headphones or 
you know, some music to combat what the noise is, or, you know, just not spending so much time out in public where things are uncomfortable. I think that you can make an argument that a lot of our even like suburban style development patterns where it's more car oriented and and more hang out in the backyard. Like, I think they can be tied to, they can be generators, but then also like it's cyclical, right? Our needing to drive everywhere has us all in cars, which produces a lot of noise, which makes cities really loud, which makes us want to withdraw from Mm -hmm. the public realm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, our, our exposure and recognition of the effect that noise has on us is also very delayed because we spend so Mm -hmm. much time in our vehicles where we're encased, you know, in a bubble basically. And so we um, actually don't notice the level or the impact or our reaction to it Mm -hmm. until we actually put ourselves out in the world uh, where it can really reach us in, in many different ways. And it's something that is then an interruption as opposed to that, kind of background noise that we learn how to tune out when we right. are in our own vehicle behind the wheel and really not directly affected by it. Right, right. So, you know, another thing is thinking about kind of the unanticipated consequences of noise mm-hmm. and and how that affects some of the bigger notions that we work as planners and designers and, and professionals to try to advocate for. And so one of those things is, you know, we're always trying to continue to close the gap of understanding and acceptance between things like density mm-hmm. and people and communities that um, are not so excited about that idea. Right. The, um, the appeal of urban living and the appeal of cities as a whole when we're not really focusing on making those areas a pleasant experience to live and not Mm -hmm. just to visit, uh, we're actually working at cross purposes against our own desire to make cities and density something that is more conducive to everyone's way of life and more appealing to people at all phases of their lives. And so it's actually keeping us from advancing that conversation to a point where it's much more productive. And and so that affects us in many different areas of what we're trying to do to bring awareness to the contributor Mm -hmm. that those types of environments can be. Yeah. And I think like there are good reasons people are hesitant to to move to cities or reasons why people want to leave cities. And Mm -hmm. noise is like one of the best ones. Yep. Because it's stressful. It's all the things we just talked about. Like it's it's so much more than annoyance. And making cities and their soundscapes more restorative and less destructive, like that's a really core component of this that we can't just, we can't keep ignoring it. We said at the top of this show that like all infrastructure is designed, including like our sound infrastructure, if we want to put it that way. And mm-hmm. We're designing soundscapes, whether we intend to or not, whether we put any intentionality behind it or not. And so, like, if we're going to address making cities more livable, attractive, sustainable places to be so that we're not out continually spreading, uh, you know, settlement into places development doesn't belong and is more prone to wildfires and, and flooding and all kinds of things, like, then we have to, like, take 
serious steps towards, um, you know, addressing noise in a holistic manner and not just, you know, we'll talk about this in terms of like design solutions in a little bit. We have to address it at source and not just in, I don't know, in a mitigative fashion. Agreed. You know, we, we say have expressions like we can't see the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, this cacophony of sound that's around us at all times sometimes is so big on its own yeah. that it prevents us from absorbing, hearing, acknowledging, appreciating other sounds that are, in fact, not noise. Yeah. You know, we have ears for a reason. It's because they perform a valuable function, but even above and beyond the function of like hearing sounds as feedback, like valuable feedback around us, they can also be sources of relaxation. Like sounds can contribute to a sense of place and an identity, and they can really add value and beauty to our lives, whether they are human generated or generated by birds or the air flowing through the trees. We give up, like you're saying, so much when we don't get to appreciate the quality of sound when it's just a quantity of sound that we interpret as noise, right? Masking it mm-hmm. all. You know, there's a big opportunity to think about, you know, there's that word again, soundscapes, and how we can we can design them and encourage the development of recognizable soundscapes that might be akin to, I don't know, like a skyline in a city, something that is like, oh, I, I can tell where I am because of these sounds. Mm-hmm. So Jordan, I know that you had um, kind of pulled an excerpt of something that you wanted to share from Curbing Traffic, and it seems like this might be a good way to sum up what we've really just kind of touched on. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. And the book that AJ's referring to is called Curbing Traffic. It's by Melissa and Chris Bruntlett. And they have a whole chapter on noise and sounds in cities titled The Hearing City. And um, this is a passage that I found uh, particularly interesting on some of the social impacts and behavioral impacts of, of traffic noise. So, quote, As urban designer and theorist Donald Appleyard discovered in San Francisco, noise pollution dramatically alters how we use and perceive our streets, sidewalks, and public spaces. On all three of the corridors he studied, residents ranked noise as the city's second most stressful aspect, after only the danger of traffic. On the street with the heaviest volume, the noise was so severe that many, especially the elderly, were unable to remain objective about their characteristics of the street, as it completely colored the perceptions of their environment. They all demonstrated a similar stress response, causing them to retreat from the outside world. When they did venture out of their homes, they displayed uncharacteristic social behavior. They became less likely to speak to others, assist strangers, remain patient, and demonstrate generosity, and more likely to prematurely end conversations, become agitated, disagreeable, and argumentative. This wasn't just caused by the steady drone of traffic. Lone offenders, such as motorcycles, also added to the feelings of stress and helplessness because there was zero punishment for such conduct and the driver proceeded with impunity. So I just think that little passage citing that bit of research was a pretty well-distilled picture of the ways that noise changes us as humans. Like, it changes us to the core. Yeah, I agree. I think as you were reading that, I could think of so many people I know that mm-hmm. I think have gone through that transition, and it's yeah, that's heavy. You want to yeah. 
think about how we can avoid that. And speaking of avoiding that, I think this is the place where maybe we spend a few minutes talking about things that can actually help reduce noise levels. Because I know there's a tendency for people to say, well, look, this is just how it is. And you just learn to live with it. But is there, in fact, something that we can do that helps improve the situation? And I think we have several thoughts on that. Yes. All of the noise pollution generators that we have in our cities, they're all the result of designs, plans, and policy choices. Right. Hi, Jordan here. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'm learning all kinds of neat things that I forgot since recording this. I'm stepping in for a brief moment to let you know that the We Built It That Way podcast is made possible in part by the generous patronage of the following sounds. Was that all just noise? I suppose I have to leave that up to you, friend. So we talked at length about the impact of vehicle traffic noise. So let's spend a minute talking about ways of reducing noise pollution from vehicle traffic. Now, I think I might know where you might be going with this. And Jordan, you can't possibly think that we could somehow reduce... The amount of traffic. That's not where you're going, right? Because that'd be crazy. I'm going there. (laughs) 50% of all trips in the United States, like car trips, I've seen the stat, are three miles or less. Mm -hmm. And those are, for example, very bikeable distances. Mm -hmm. Should we have the right infrastructure of a safe and comfortable bicycle network that connects us to things that we, you know, places we need to go? So reducing the amount of traffic, like, I don't know, this just seems like an obvious one to me, like less of it less is. of the noise producing, you know, stuff, <laughs> less yeah. equals less noise. Yeah. And then hand in hand with that is, you know, the speed of traffic. We talked about how at certain speeds over 35, 45 miles an hour, we really start to see and here, that noise continue to grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. For example, just a decrease from a 30 mile an hour speed to a 20 mile an hour speed mm-hmm. would lower the noise associated with that traffic by six decibels. Um, essentially, that's cutting the perceived loudness of it mm-hmm. in half. Yeah. And cutting from 60 miles per hour to 40 miles per hour has an effect of uh, cutting the perceived loudness by f- by four times. Wow. Um, so that's like, you know, this is making a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and the key here really is that street design is the way to go. Street design matters. It's right. not just putting up a sign and saying the speed limit is now right 20 or 15 miles per hour. Or just throwing some speed bumps out there. In your neighborhood street. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know, pet peeve. We can have a whole discussion about how street design and street network design drives behavior on those streets. Mm -hmm. But just suffice it to say, signs are sort of an admission of failure, (laughs) telling people to slow down. But on the subject of speed bumps, I, I read this in one of the articles, and I've started to notice it during the past week, is that speed bumps often make the problem worse. Because mm-hmm. like we were saying earlier, um, noise is kind of like we get it in different ways. And one way is like that background noise that has the long term impacts. But jarring noises are also really stressful for us, too. And people, you know, hear the jarring noise of the car hitting the speed bump outside and then the acceleration afterward. And mm-hmm. that's that's not a solution to the noise problem. No. No, or a solution to the speeding problem, but we'll get into that another day. And, you know, I'm sorry to jump back here, but we talked about reducing the amount of traffic and then just kind of moved on. But like, that sounds maybe kind of pie in the sky, almost ridiculous, maybe. But this is like, there are a lot of like practical ways to do this. Mm-hmm. We've talked about them kind of in other shows. and We have. But just to like really quickly recap, not having our development so spread out that you got to drive everywhere that's that's one thing right and that plus mixing not mixing but separating all the uses so Mm -hmm. that everything is a drive away that's another like we just said providing the right kind of infrastructure um in terms of like the physical stuff on the ground that makes it comfortable and safe to get around right but destinations in proximity i think that there's probably also like policy tools that that could be a part of this too but i just wanted to you know point out some of those system designs that can have an impact and have had an impact in other parts of the world in Mm -hmm. reducing car use. Yeah. I think it all comes back to just asking the question. There's, there's so much traffic, but why, Uh what is it that necessitates so much traffic? Well, we literally do everything to require you to get behind the wheel. So of course we have a lot of traffic. And we talked about some of the negative impacts of, for example, sitting in traffic congestion and how frustrating it is. And like, if we started from the perspective of noise as an issue to tackle in cities and worked backward from there and did the same thing with all kinds of public health outcomes, we wouldn't end up with a system where you get, you drive loud noise generators everywhere. So you're saying that we, in order to (laughs) no longer be backwards, we need to work backwards. (laughs) I like that. I I like like that. that. Put it on a bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking earlier about the contributor of noise to um, being kind of the elements of the vehicles themselves, including the friction between the tires Mm -hmm. and the surfacing of the roads. Is there anything that can be done about that? So, yeah, quieter tires like are a thing that could be required um, on vehicles to reduce the source noise pollution. But these have been opposed by tire manufacturers, you know, citing that it would cost money to do so. Um, but I've seen one study estimated that compared to the upfront cost of like the manufacturers making quieter tires, we would save 40 times the amount of uh, social costs. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard about this until pretty recently, but it's not, I don't know of anywhere that requires it. And the first like few places that require it, I think that it can start to be standardized and normalized. Mm-hmm. But I think less less important than the first two. And speaking of less important than the first two, but still impactful, 
are some other kinds of like mitigation strategies. And one of the most interesting to me is porous asphalt. Now, I'm not sure if this depends on like soil types or not, but this can reduce the noise up to six decibels, which is like cutting it in half. And it has also these other, you know, positive effects in that it can be safer, reduce hydroplaning, can help clean and treat some of the water before it runs off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, exp- you know, it's more expensive than typical pavement, but it has shown to be uh, three to 10 times more cost effective than like installing noise barriers and, and doing soundproof insulation. So like if you're pairing this kind of solution with lower speed street design and reducing traffic, like this yeah. can, this can be applied in just like higher speed corridors to begin with. Yeah. And so then kind of another offshoot of, of categories of things that we can do um, that have a mitigating effect. I want to go back to something we mentioned earlier in the episode, which is where we talked about things like design. So when we're talking about design, what we mean in this context is everything from number one, site selection. So, you know, for example, recently when Denver, um, did the site selection for their new airport, they deliberately mm-hmm. chose a more remote location to keep that sound of the airport away from adjacent subdivisions as often happens in cities. Subdivisions where, of course, property rates are lower and obviously it disproportionately affects certain groups of the population who mm-hmm. can only afford to live in places like that where they are surrounded by it 24-7. Right. So one is is site selection. Now, it would be very easy to take that example and say, oh, great. So you're, you're saying we should spread everything out even more to buffer <laughs> sound. And that's not what I'm saying. Um, so I want to be careful to mention that. But again, being more thoughtful about where the sites are going to be located, then how buildings and structures and open space are arranged mm-hmm. on a site can yeah. have a big impact on the amount of sound that escapes or is absorbed. And then, you know, we drill into things like the materials that are used. Yep. Vegetation is a very undersold solution to um, sound issues and sound mitigation, whether that be in the form of trees or other types of natural barriers, mm-hmm. the materials of the buildings themselves. You know, you mentioned earlier that post-World War II, we really became allergic to anything other than the mass production <laughs> uh-huh. of very cheaply made buildings. And we see evidence of this all over our cities. But what if we suddenly decided to move in a different direction and we started selecting materials and you know applying construction standards that resulted in more of the you know your home is an oasis kind of feel yeah what would that do for the attractiveness of urban environments and density uh-huh. i think yeah. it would help with that greatly yeah. you know and then another thing is just how we talk about it or whether we even talk about it. So it's awesome numbers that there were many cities in the United States during COVID that saw noise complaints triple and even quadruple. And why was that? Well, you know, the the prevailing rationale that was given was that, you know, people were spending more time at home and so were all their neighbors and they were mm-hmm. exposed to things that they weren't accustomed to. Yeah, a lot of that background noise faded away and had it was replaced by, you know, something else. Yeah, exactly. So even just having 
more um, conversations that bring to light, you know, noises and sounds and soundscapes and, and how those things affect us and how we can collaboratively work together to find alternatives is something that can help with, with mitigation. Yeah. I think we do need to pay attention to once we achieve this goal of reducing traffic noise and and other noise in cities, it's not like the issue is solved. We have to be very conscious about what we replace those sounds with. Yeah. And, you know, is part of the, the effort to have more education and more discussion about this issue that is often overlooked. We've seen more of the popularity of this movement called sonic humanism, which essentially is this movement that's focused on using the power of sound to improve the quality of life um, globally across populations and communities. Mm-hmm. And one element of that that's really critical is this this notion of a soundscape approach. So we've used that word many times throughout this episode. And this approach that we're talking about is this idea that focuses on sounds that are appropriate to context Hmm. and that can be used to positive effect. So we are used to one of the examples you mentioned earlier of sound canceling earbuds or headphones. And by that, we're essentially blocking all sound to focus on what we choose that we want to hear in that moment. But Mm -hmm. this approach and this movement is really more about not lowering all sound levels but focusing on mitigating the ones that are unwanted because there is a growing recognition, as you were just alluding to, that sounds can be very positive. And there's a growing movement of design of sound. So one of the things that I listened to when I was getting ready for this episode was a, an episode by one of my favorite podcasts, 99% Invisible, yeah. talking about cities and noise. And one of the people that they talked with uh, was Joel Beckerman, who talked about his experience working with Nissan to design sounds for electric vehicles because they right. recognized that the absence of sound altogether was also not a positive thing. But they spent a lot of time trying to engineer sounds that were pleasant and actually enhanced the environment around it rather than detracted from it, but also had meaning that was clear to people. And that is something that we're seeing and hearing more about that I think you know, is something that would be interesting to do more reading on. And we'll have a couple of things in the show notes that can help you drill down a little bit further into that. Yeah. We talked about that earlier that like sound is feedback. It's valuable to us. And it's not like this is a knob, like, you know, silence or noise. Sound is, you know, contributes to our, you know, having a cohesive understanding of the world. Mm hmm. One other thing I'd mention too is, you know, thinking about how cities can address some of these issues. So, you know, we've talked about some solutions that are steeped in policy, that are steeped in philosophy, that are steeped in embracing and holding space for conversations about these types of things. And there are a number of cities that have tried to come at this with different approaches. 
And I think we may have some examples of places that are doing this notably better than us in the oh, United States. Oh boy, are you about to talk about Europe again? Well, in a mo- in a moment, but I'll mention that here in the U.S., some of the things that have been tried and haven't necessarily worked well uh-huh. um, in dealing with noise issues are the use of fines uh-huh. to essentially be a a punitive tool towards the sources of noise, but it's been found that at times those are actually not equitably used or applied and uh, tend to target certain types of business. You know, they're, they're just not having the type of success that I think cities originally went into that with. So these are fines from, from cities to like organizations or individuals. I'm going to write you a ticket. Um, You know, I remember one of my first jobs as a planner, I was given a decibel meter and sent out to measure uh, sound levels um, because there were complaints from a neighborhood about a nearby Uh nightclub. And so, Uh you know, it's a very adversarial approach and it doesn't always work out well. Secondly, you know, you you tend to see those utilized more towards industry, centers of industry, more of the, you know, kind of blue collar businesses. And so Uh they're disproportionately hit with those. And it doesn't actually solve the problem, by the way. It simply pauses it for a moment. Uh And then we've also seen, you know, examples of cities doing things like uh, taking a different approach where they offer subsidies or programs where you can do things like upgrade the windows in your building to address sound issues, mm-hmm. to provide more protected open space areas that are located and situated where they're seemed uh, deemed rather not to be a nuisance to residents of the neighborhood. And so, right. you know, there've been various ways that cities have tried to come at this, but I don't know that I could say there's one that we could point to as a sterling example of they've got this figured out. So yes, let's go to Europe and see what Europe has been doing. <laughs> well, I think those are those are interesting discussions that we didn't we didn't really have enough of that. We kind of touched on like sources of noise in our cities being like other people. We didn't talk about so much businesses or church events or nightclubs or whatever. Like we didn't focus so much on that and that's like its own it's a pretty thorny topic that would be an interesting follow-up. Um, and I think it also kind of hints at different people might consider different things noise or mm-hmm. like problematic yep. sound. <laughs> For sure. Well, I know you were going to talk about Netherlands being a good example. Um, yes, I was. And I I think just purely on the traffic noise issue, they definitely do provide an alternative example to maybe how things could have gone over here over the past 50 years or so. Because in the late 70s, they had a noise abatement law, which was a part of a much broader sweeping like laws related to public health and environmental quality. But they they basically had, they regulated and restricted traffic noise. They put maximum decibel limits within all nearby buildings, depending on use, like time of use and, and, mm-hmm. and type of use. And they had concrete punishments for the not individuals and not businesses but non-compliant municipalities Um, and they gave the resources needed to enforce them so they basically said all right if you live in this country you have the right to healthy noise levels where you live and the design needs to reflect that and cities you have one way or another of doing it you can 
you know, a lot of those cities said, okay, I guess we could push buildings a lot further back off of the, you know, the roadway. But that kind of wasn't really in keeping with how cities were built over there. And so they basically just did the other thing, which was they slowed uh, automobile traffic. And they that combined with um, transportation plans in cities across the Netherlands that restricted car access and speed, th- those combined to have like a really lasting impact. And it shows if you, you visit those um, cities in, in that country, how much quieter it is. Yeah, there's uh, something I read that was saying that every um, European Union city over 100,000 residents is required mm-hmm. to have a noise action plan put into place and to put together a strategic noise map so that they can pinpoint and target areas that are worthy of their initial efforts. So it sounds like really the difference between some of these examples that we found in Europe, as opposed to some of the examples in the United States is, you know, the European examples seem to have a much more um, expansive approach that works. Yes. That that works at everything from, you know, identifying the, the cause planning ahead, you know, our, our reactions in our country tend to be more reactive, more, you know, nuisance influenced and Mm -hmm. don't always have the same type of power for even the beginning of long lasting citywide, statewide, countrywide change. It's really just isolated incidents that we're trying to address and then move on to to Mm -hmm. other things. We had noise regulations from the EPA in the 70s. Mm hmm. And those kind of never really took hold and they started getting phased out in the Reagan era. So who knows if things had gone differently, we might have a similar approach because like I was reading a press release from the EPA in 1974 and they were talking about these exact same talking points about unacceptable like levels of noise, you know, outside of dwellings. So I did not know that. Things could have been different. Huh. Well, they still can. And we've given some (laughs) insights, hopefully, to get you thinking about how they still could be different. Yeah. But I know we're probably at the point where it's time to assign some homework and call it good. Yes. All right. Let's let's get out of here. But before we do, the first part of your homework is the same as as always. We're going to drop some links into the show notes. And you are welcome to click on any of them and read or watch or listen. And the second part is something more interactive. Yeah, there are a number of apps that you can actually download on your phone and use them to measure sound. Um, And I think that would be maybe an interesting assignment. If you've never been in the position I was in of being sent out to measure sound, you, you might be interested to find out what the environment that you spend time in every day, um, Mm -hmm. the noise levels, and then just trying to really spend a little bit of time outside, whether that's taking a short walk or a break during your workday and really kind of assess what the soundscape of your environment is. We don't ever really take time to listen very often. We're we're so busy with all of our devices and uh-huh. the thoughts in our heads and our to-do lists and everything else, but really just taking a few minutes to listen and assess what that's like where you are, I think would be a not only a good mindfulness exercise, but yep. you might even notice something that you hadn't noticed before, and it might make you think a little differently about the topic. That's great. The public realm does not have to be a place that we seek to avoid and get refuge from. It could be a a place of restoration and, I don't know, joy and happiness. (laughs) 
which are all things that I like to tell people our podcast is. It's a source of all of those things. A source of the best vibes. So we hope that you listened to this entire episode and you didn't label it as noise. We're going to find out if you didn't. (laughs) Or we're going to call it the European Union. All right, we better get out of here. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please find us on some of the social media at We Built It Pod. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for another episode. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Bye bye.